Hello and welcome on to another episode here of the ISO Ball Podcast with your host, Derek Terrio, your place to learn about the NBA on and off the court. Yeah, I, I really got to get better at doing these podcasts more on time. Uh, we had a trade go down between the Oklahoma City Thunder and the Houston Rockets uh, late last week, and I wasn't able to get to it until now, but it is big enough that we should talk about this uh, and kind of discuss what went down. So as I mentioned, the Oklahoma City Thunder and Houston Rockets agreed to a trade. The, the parameters of the trade is that the Houston Rockets are getting Russell Westbrook and the Oklahoma City Thunder are getting a package of Chris Paul, a 2021 uh, pick swap rights, 20, a 2024 first rounder protected one through four, a 2025 pick swap rights, and a 2026 first rounder protected one through four. This is a massive trade. Uh, this is a pretty big trade for both teams. And right off the bat, I want to explain why I think OKC won this trade. Um, yeah, I'll say, I'll say it. I think OKC won this trade by a mile. Uh, and I'll, I'll, I'm going to explain why right now. So first, we should we talk about the contract. So Chris Paul and Russell Westbrook, both of which have bad contracts. Um, Chris Paul, three years, $124 million left on his contract. Russell Westbrook, four years, $171 million left on his. Uh, uh, Chris Paul uh, is 34. Russell Westbrook is 30. And the first reason I think that OKC won this trade is CP3's deal isn't that much worse than Russell Westbrook's, in my opinion. Like, everybody is really crapping on Chris Paul and, uh, you know, kind of throwing his decline and his game, you know, to match how much money he's making. But, I mean, Russell Westbrook, like, I've said it before, like, this is a guy that couldn't get his team out of out of the first round in the Western Conference uh, as a Supermax player. And so he's got four years, $171 million left on that deal for a player whose game is based on, based on athleticism, who's a below-average shooter, and who hasn't proven that he can win as the best player on his team uh, in the playoffs. So to, to say that Russell Westbrook's contract is that much better than Chris Paul's is not accurate whatsoever. And so Russ has more money... Uh, 171 million to Paul's 124 million, and he has more years. Russ has four years. Paul has three, and I think Westbrook, in my opinion, um, he's better than CP3. I I don't think there's a question there, but I don't know how much better he actually is than Chris Paul. Uh, again, what like let's if if we go down the list, like CP3 is a better shooter. CP3 is a better defender in all facets of the, all facets of the game. CP3 in my opinion is a better distributor and you'll say, "Oh, but Russell Westbrook averages more assists." Well, look at Chris Paul's assist to turnover ratio. Look at the the types of assists that Chris Paul gets to his teammates. Look at the types of looks that uh, teammates get off of Chris Paul's passes. He sets up teammates way better and way more efficiently than Russell Westbrook. Russell Westbrook's, uh, you know, assist to turnover ratio is barely hitting 2 and Chris Paul for his career has been three plus. So, and to compound that Russell Westbrook's usage rate is much, much higher than Chris Paul's. So Chris Paul averaging, you know, eight assists a game, Russell Westbrook at 10, but Russell Westbrook is using 10% more of uh, a team's possessions than CP3. So in my opinion, CP3 is still a better passer than Russell Westbrook, better, a better decision maker with the ball in his hands. He's a better shooter from mid range and outside. Uh, and he's a better defender. 
what Russell Westbrook is is Russell Westbrook is probably a better and a better uh, overall scorer. He's a better finisher at the rim, and he's definitely more athletic. But I think it stops there. I think it. I think it stops there. I don't know what else um, Russell Westbrook is better at. Uh, than Chris Paul and rebounding. And Russell Westbrook is obviously a better rebounder uh, than Chris Paul as well. But outside of that, I really don't know what else um, Russ is better at, in my opinion. And so if we take a look at it, like, yeah, Russ is definitely a better overall player than CP3, but by how much... I'm I'm not I'm not too sure about that. So when we talk about these contracts and we 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 complain about how bad Chris Paul's contract is, let's keep in mind the four years, 171 million dollars that Russ has on his contract as a player that isn't necessarily going to age well based on his skill set. So that's one reason I think OKC won this trade is that I don't think that. Uh, uh, well, first of all, they took back uh, still bad money, but one less year of that bad money, and that they got they got four years worth of draft compensation uh, within that as well, and that's deep out into uh, you know into future years, and that gets to my second point is who knows what the Rockets are going to be four, five, six years uh, from now when Harden will be in his mid to late 30s. I mean, again, we're talking about a pick swap in 2021, which will be, you know, uh, two years from now, which is fine. But a 2024 unprotected first rounder, like that's five years from now. James Harden will be 34 by then. And that's protected one through four. 2025 pick swap rights and a 2026 first rounder protected one through four as well. So seven years from now, seven years from now, what it, like when James Harden is what, 36? That's the pick that they're going to get. Like, this is, like, that's way out there. You never know, like, how, like, what the Rockets are going to look like all the way out there. And to push the picks that far out with such little protection is very dangerous, in my opinion. And it makes me feel like this is a situation that Daryl Morey says, you know what, I'm not going to be around to see those picks convey anyway. So let's just, you know, mortgage the future, probably knowing that in six or seven years, I'm not going to be here anyway. And I won't have to deal with the mess that I left uh, trying to, you know, mortgage my future to win, to maximize my ch- my chances of winning a championship right now. So that's that's the kind of move it felt uh, like from the Rockets here. It felt like a real like a maximize this window at all costs type of move, and a little bit panicky in my opinion. And the third reason I think OKC won this trade is that. They now have CP3, which they can go and flip again for some, you know, expiring money. Now, they might have to attach a first-round pick to get off Chris Paul in this deal. I understand that. But it would. I think it would be much easier to get off of three years of CP3 than four years of Russell Westbrook. Because if your team has Russell Westbrook, like, Russell Westbrook becomes your team. Like, in a sense, right? Because the ball has to go through him. He has to control every possession. He has to be the main engine of that offense. And he's going to be one of them, as we'll talk about here as in his fit with the Rockets. Whereas CP3 can kind of fit around players. And we saw how successful he was at doing that with James Harden. So CP3, when he's integrated into your team, doesn't have to be the main point of your offense uh, at 34 with three years left. But with Russell Westbrook, he has to be the guy. Like he, he, he can't, he's not going to come in and take a back seat to anybody other than probably, you know, his best friend, James Harden. So there was one place, one place that he might be able to take, you know, a back seat to somebody else. And that was, uh, you know, in Houston. And we'll talk about whether or not he, I think he's going to do that. So 
that's the third reason I think uh, that OKC won this trade is that they got a player in Chris Paul that to me uh, is a little bit of an easier trade piece because he has one less year, because he has less guaranteed money, and because he fits probably a little bit better around any existing team that is going to trade for him just because of his shooting, because of his you know, passing ability because at this age he doesn't necessarily need to be ball dominant if he's playing with another star. So for all those reasons, I think uh, he's a little bit easier to kind of stomach to bring onto your team, you know, in my opinion. And that's even despite some of the locker room issues that we uh, kind of heard CP3 got into with James Harden and such. So OKC won this trade. I don't think there's any doubt about it to me. Like I really don't see the argument on the other side you get you get draft compensation that goes way out five years from now uh when Harden is going to be in his mid to late 30s you take on less you take on less years less money and a player that you can trade that is easily more integrated into uh into a system of a team that's going to trade for him so that that's the reason uh i think okc won this trade so let's talk about the fit let's let's talk about the fit of how Harden and russ fit together um, it's not good in my opinion. Uh, I don't think they fit well together at all. And th the thing about Chris Paul that was great next to Harden is that when Harden was by himself, you know, when CP3 was off the floor, he could go into his ISO ball and usually generate a good look. And, you know, he's all obviously able to run, pick and roll. Harden is a high assist guy. He can get his teammates involved. He's a willing passer. He's, he's one of the best offensive engines in the league. Uh, if not the best, we understand that. But when CP3 was by himself, it was great for everyone else on the team in terms of the role players um, because for everyone else, it, he was able to get everyone else their shots. So CP3 would run pick and roll and, you know, find the weak side shooters, be able to hit the pocket pass for the rollers with uh, Clint Capella and Nene. He was able to hit shots in the mid-range and kind of keep defenses honest like that. And he can ISO up top and hit threes at a decent clip when he needed to. But usually, it when Chris Paul was on the floor by himself, it was time to keep the rest of the team being P.J. Tucker, Eric Gordon, Clint Capella, Jail Green, all of those guys engaged by finding them good looks and making sure that they were getting their shots so that when it comes time down the stretch for them to take and make big shots, they were ready because CP3 was getting them involved throughout the game. And that's like something I think that's very underrated about Chris Paul is that obviously he's such a smart and intelligent basketball player, very high IQ player. So he knows that he needs to keep those guys in rhythm so that they can come up big for him down the, down the stretch. And he was great at doing that. And now with Russ, it's, it's a little bit different because he's a below average shooter, but he shoots at a high volume. So now when Harden and Russ play together, Harden is going to have to be off the ball because Russ is not going to draw any gravity as a shooter. He's a below average shooter. So his presence on the floor when Harden has the ball is not helpful because he's gumming up the spacing. Any guy, any guy guarding Russ is just going to sag off of Russ and, you know, double team Harden and force, uh, you know, Russ to make those open threes. And you, you say, okay, well, what if Russ, well, Russ attacks a closeout? Well, there's not going to be a hard closeout to Russell Westbrook. The defender is going to stop two feet short. And when he attacks, the, the defender is going to be in prime position to cut off the initial drive from Westbrook. So his driving ability to the rim is going to be compromised because when that pass goes out to Russ, when he's open because the defender is sagging off him and Russ has to attack that closeout, that closeout is not going to come that aggressive to Russell Westbrook. The defender is going to stop, you know, two, two and a half feet short and be able to cut off that drive and either A, force Russell Westbrook to make the three or make Russell Westbrook make one of those dreaded long twos, you know, from 20 feet that the, you know, the Rockets hate to see. 
So it's going to be a lot harder for Russ uh, to operate off the ball than it would be Harden because, you know, we know Harden is such an excellent shooter. So now you're taking the ball out of Harden's hands and giving it to Russ, but you're taking away what makes the Rockets the best version of themselves. And that is obviously with Harden controlling the offense as the main engine. Like he, James Harden as the main engine of the offense has produced like all-time great offenses for the Houston Rockets. Like I'm talking like in the history of the game, like there's very few offenses that compare to that of the Houston Rockets these past two years. And a lot of that was because of James Harden and his ability to create off the dribble in isolation, to be able to run pick and roll, uh, and to be able to find weak side shooters. And now you're taking that and you're basically saying, okay, you have one, you have one of two options. Either we're putting Russ on the floor, who's a liability shooter, who let's face it, the Rockets don't have any liability shooters uh on you know the floor at all times they have pj tucker who made like the most corner threes last year they have eric gordon they have gerald green and they'll have you know clint capella a lob threat or they'll have austin rivers or you know any other uh numerous number of shooters daniel house all these guys can make threes at a respectable clip but russ can't so this is going to be an adjustment for the rockets i don't really see how they're going to function and you know maybe maybe i'm missing something but i don't really see how they're going to function with a player out there that can't stretch the floor reliably like it's it's just it's hard for me to picture right now because i'm so used to james harden up top you know one four flat uh you got three shooters and a lob threat that's what i'm used to and now two shooters in a lob threat with a guy that you can help off of is not something i think i've ever seen before from the houston system so i'm interested to see how it works but i i, I can envision it right now and it doesn't feel like it's like it's a good fit and then when Russ, when Russell Westbrook is on the floor and James Harden is off the floor, he now has to become more of a distributor and can't just view this as, you know, Russell Westbrook time. It's my time to score because then no one gets in a rhythm. We talked about how CP3 was so good at getting those role players in a rhythm. But if Russ comes off the floor and says, oh, it's Russ time, it's my time to score all these points. And he's not, you know... He's not getting guys involved that we know Russell Westbrook is a fabulous passer. He's a fantastic passer. He can get guys involved, but we need to be able to see the discipline for Russ to say, okay, even though I'm the only guy on the floor and it's my time to score the ball, I need to understand that it's just as important for me to get my teammates involved so that they're available down the stretch of games to be important and uh, to be able to make and take big shots. And we also know that, you know, Mori Ball, as, or the Rockets basketball Mori Ball, doesn't really cater to mid-rangers uh, unless it was Chris Paul who, who made them at like 59% or something stupid last year. Such a good rate. And so it's either all the way to the rim for Westbrook or a three. And despite Russell Westbrook's great numbers finishing at the rim last year, he was excellent finishing at the rim last year, it's going to be a lot easier to defend his drives to the rim knowing he's not going to shoot that mid-range shot. And so, you know, shot blockers are just going to be waiting for him at the rim. And so what CP3 used to do to be able to compound that is not only was CP3 a great shooter from three and in the mid-range, but he also had a nice little floater to be able to, you know, add into his arsenal from, you know, 10 to 8 feet that he used to be able to shoot over uh, the long defenders of the shot blockers. And Russ has no floater whatsoever. Like, if you've ever seen, like, a Russell Westbrook nice floater, please let me know because I never see Russ shoot that floater shot and... You know, that's going to be the only way that he's going to be able to finish in that mid-range reliably because even in the mid-range, Russ is not necessarily a great shooter. So Russ, on top of that, like, I hate to keep piling on Russell Westbrook because he's such a great player. And I'm going to talk about what he is good at 
what he is good at. But, I mean, he's also a below-average defender, in my opinion. Like, he also got cooked in the playoffs in that Portland series by Damian Lillard. He got cooked by Damian Lillard. And, you know, CP3 is no all-defensive candidate either anymore. Like, CP3 is not the seven-time, first-time all-defensive player that he was in his prime. But he's still a very good defender in all facets. Like, Chris Paul can, you know, he can guard the post. He can stay in front of his man one-on-one. He doesn't take dumb gambles, but he can still get deflections and get his hands in the passing lane. He also captains, you know, that defense and be able to call out coverages and be able to point and communicate and stay engaged that way. You know, Russell Westbrook... Like, he's a lot of the opposite. Like, he gambles a lot on defense. Sometimes it leads to good steals and, uh, you know, some easy transition buckets. But a lot of times it leads to easy buckets and, you know, compromising his defense. Um, He can still obviously get deflections and stuff, but um, he's you know, average at best staying in front of his man one-on-one. In the post when he tries, he can really be a burden for offensive players down there. When he bodies up, he can really be a force to be reckoned with on the defensive end when he really tries. But the main thing about Russ is he gets caught sleeping off the ball way too often. He's always looking around, dozing off, you know, getting caught ball watching. That That's that's the main part of, you know, Russell Westbrook's defense that's really, really poor. And you know, that's going to have to change. Like, you, you've got a backcourt now of Harden and, you know, who took leaps and bounds defensively last year. It was very good, especially as a post defender. You know, Harden was in, like, the 90th percentile in defending post-ups. He was excellent in that in that area. And he was also good at getting in the passing lanes as well. But he, again, Har- uh, being Harden, takes some dumb gambles. He's also one of those guys, you know, that takes gambles a little bit too often. So it's, it's, it's going to be tough here. Uh, to make this work, and I really don't see it working. But let, let, let's talk about what Russ is good at, because I, I don't want to spend a whole podcast, you know, crapping on Russell Westbrook. You know, Russell Westbrook is, like, an incredible, incredible athlete. Like, this man is still a ferocious athlete. And one of the things, an intangible, that I think when we talk about Russell Westbrook that we really can't put in the box score is that you feel this guy on every possession. Like, when every possession he comes down the floor and drives at you, like, you just feel him physically and mentally it's exhausting to have to know that he's going to come at you time and time and time again and that wears you down uh as a defender and as a team defense knowing russ is just going to drive full speed into you and go straight to the rim and you have to go out there and you know put your body on him and not worried about getting dunked on and all this stuff and it's 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 mentally exhausting and physically exhausting uh, to guard Russell Westbrook. Like that is something that we don't talk about when we talk about Russ. Is that his his physical imposition is such a burden for defenses to handle. And on top of that, he obviously is a great finisher at the rim. Um, when he gets his feet set and is wide open, you know, he can knock down some three-pointers, but I just don't see him getting those, you know, those types of looks. I think there's just better three-point shooters that are going to have to be uh, on the floor. I mean, maybe it gets to the point where defenses just, like, don't respect Russ whatsoever, that they just let him shoot the wide open threes and really get him to force him to make those. And I think that he will make teams pay for those. So he's, he's going to have to be contested from out there, but it doesn't have to be like you have to be stuck and attached to him or you're going to pay like like an Eric Gordon. Like, like Eric Gordon is just like an elite shooter. Like that guy can just pull from anywhere. He's got great balance on his shot. And a- anytime he catches the ball from the three-point line, you better be closing out because he can knock them down at a high clip. Like Russell Westbrook is not that elite level of shooter, but he can knock them down sometimes but he just takes so many of them and a lot of them are bad takes 
that it just compounds how good uh, or how bad, I should say, of a shooter he actually is. So he's great finishing at the rim. He's physically imposing. He's an excellent passer. Although he turns the ball over a lot, he's still an excellent passer. He gets his teammates involved. Um, he's good at finding, you know, skip passes and weak side and weak side shooters and stuff like that. Although he pounds, he, he you know, he sorry, he pads his rebounding stats. You know, stealing rebounds from Steven Adams and stuff. He is still an excellent, excellent rebounder. Uh, I will give him that. He is one of the top guard rebounders, you know, in the NBA. Now, I don't know necessarily how valuable that becomes on the Rockets when you have an excellent rebounder in Clint Capella and, you know, an underrated rebounder in James Harden, who, you know, James Harden likes to take the ball and just kind of go. It's similar to Russell Westbrook, in fact. So we'll see how that works in terms of... How, I'm, I'm very interested to see how many rebounds uh, Russell Westbrook averages this year. Um, you know, Russell Westbrook definitely gives his all on offense. He's, uh, he's a guy that really, you know, doesn't cheat you with effort, at least on the offensive end. Uh, obviously, we've talked about, you know, his uh, below average defense. But offensively, he doesn't cheat you with any effort. And he and he's still an all-star player. Russell Westbrook is still an all-star all-star player, and he uh, he de- he deserves his credit. Like I, I'm I'm trying to point out the flaws here, just to accentuate my point about how I don't think um, he's going to fit well with James Harden, and I'm you know telling you why. And you know obviously I haven't been the biggest Russ fan uh, you know throughout his career uh, from my perspective anyway. But he's still an all-star. He's still an all-star pro- player. He still has plenty of good qualities. But I think the problem is, and I think my big point here is that the stuff that Russell Russell Westbrook is bad at is the stuff that the Rockets emphasize and that like is my big point they emphasize shooting they emphasize you know being able to play you know solid defense they well (laughs) sometimes at least um they emphasize being able to you know shoot threes they emphasize all all of the all of these things uh, efficiency all of these things that you know Russell Westbrook is not necessarily you know the best at and I think that that's the main issue on top of you know all the other stuff uh, that I mentioned with Russ, so we'll see how we'll see how things fit. I mean, I don't I don't foresee this being a good fit. I think that uh, I, I think that in the regular season they'll be fine. I think they'll still win 50 games, and everybody will see. Oh yeah, I told you it was a good fit. And then once the playoffs come around, and we really have to see the adjustments, and we really start you really start leaving Westbrook to shoot threes, much like they did in the Portland series, and he's not making those. And he becomes a liability, and he he's one of those players that is almost like a poison, right? Because in the playoffs, he's so good that you have to keep him on the floor. But you, but if he's not making shots, like he's al- he's almost a liability on the offensive end. But you can't take him off the floor because he's so good. So he falls into that almost like a trap, almost of like he's too good to take off the floor, but he's actually costing you possessions on the floor by his inability to hit shots. So we'll see. And maybe this is the summer that Russell Westbrook's improved his shooting. Maybe he spends a whole summer, you know, shooting three-pointers and learning how to play a different style uh, of game. And maybe that's the case too. But right now, the way it's set up, uh, as I see it, I don't see this being a good fit. And I think the the real issues are going to show itself uh, in the playoffs, not necessarily in the regular season. So from the, fr- from the perspective of, of Oklahoma City Thunder and Chris Paul, you know, Oklahoma City gets another ton of picks. Like, I lost count of how many damn first-round picks they have at this point. A ridiculous amount of first-round picks going forward. Um, 
good for them. And they required a, acquired another Denver one by dumping uh, Jeremy Grant for another first-round pick. So they they have just a ridiculous amount of first-round picks, a, a plethora of them going forward to you know boost this rebuild, which is great. They also have Shea Gilgis Alexander, who's a nice building block point guard. And now from you know the the perspective of Chris Paul. Now we we've heard that Chris Paul might get rerouted to another team. There's there's potential for him to go to Miami. You've heard rumblings of possibly Minnesota. Uh, you've heard rumblings, although I think unlikely that you know CP3 gives back enough money in a buyout, and it would have to be a lot of money he gives back. But he would give back. A ridiculous amount of money to get bought out and then sign for the minimum with the Lakers. I mean, there's a lot of different scenarios here that the third one of that I think being the most unlikely. Um, I think the Miami situation is probably the most likely to team him up in the Eastern Conference with Jimmy Butler with a nice lob threat and Bam out of bio. Uh, who you know that and that's the other thing too is that if they're going to make a trade, there's going to have to be um, possibly some assets. Uh, going back to Oklahoma City, and is that is that Justice Winslow? Is that Bam Adebayo? Is that Tyler Hero, who showed some nice flashes in summer league? Is that you know Dion Waiters? Is who who knows who that is at this point? So we'll see how that goes. But I fear that the championship window is closing a little quicker than I expected for CP3 as a um, as an integral part of a championship team. Um, I think that we've seen throughout his career that Chris Paul cannot be the best player on a championship team. And that's no knock against CP3. I mean, how many six-foot point guards, six-foot unathletic point guards do you see lead their team to championships? Like, not many. Not many at all. Um, so it's it's not really an indictment on him whatsoever. Until he played with James Harden in Houston, he was the best player on his team for his whole career. So... Um, uh, and, and we and all it took was you know one hamstring injury and they would have been you know playing in the finals most likely um, you know in that in that 2018 playoffs. So it's it, it's weird it's weird to see and we'll see how things go. I mean if if we want to play the hype well there's two hypotheticals. Okay, the first one is he stays in OKC. He stays in OKC. He runs it back, you know, with Gallo and Steven Adams and Shea Gilgis-Alexander and, uh, you know, Terrence Ferguson, uh, Andre Robertson maybe gets healthy and can be the, the defender he once was. And, you know, that, that team is maybe, you know, fighting for an eight seed at, at the very most and probably going to get knocked out by, you know, the one seed being the Lakers or the Clippers um, or whoever ends up being the one seed. And, he'll go out probably in the first or second round at, at the very most. And then if you go to Miami, maybe, you know, Chris Paul is the thing that puts them over the hump to maybe get into the, you know, the bottom half or the middle of the playoff picture. I'm talking like uh, five, six, seven seed or so to be. And then maybe, uh, and then maybe again, you get yourself to the second round and you're in a hard, hard fought series, you know, with uh with a Philadelphia, with a Milwaukee, with a Boston, you know, maybe with a Toronto perhaps. And maybe you make a conference finals, but most likely you get bumped, you know, in the second round, if not the first. So both of those scenarios are not really, you know, too promising for CP3. So that's why I think that if Chris Paul has made a lot of money in his career, he's got his State Farm commercials, he's got his, uh, you know, his shoe deal, he's made some good investments uh, on the side there. He Obviously, he's got his Jordan brand deal. I think that if CP3 really wants to win a championship that badly, 
and and let's say this first you know cp3 is a family guy too right obviously the man wants to take care of his family he wants to set up his family for generations to come he's you know he's supporting you know his brother his uh his brother cj his wife jada you know his son Lil chris He's got a daughter as well. Um, he wants to see all of those parts of his family, you know, succeed. So the financial aspect is definitely important to Chris Paul. And I don't want to act like, uh, you know, the money means absolutely nothing. But if he really wants to win a championship that badly, and he is just starving for an absolute championship, then what he will do is give back enough money, and it will be a lot of money. Please don't underestimate. Like, he'll probably have to give back like $30, $40 million. He'll give that back to be able to accept a buyout from OKC and join the Lakers on a minimum to pair with LeBron James and Anthony Davis to make what I would think is a big three uh, and would put the Lakers into cha- as the championship favorites. And that would be that would be it. That would be the move that he would have to make to try and win a championship. And that's a, that's a lot of that's a lot of sacrifice. That's a lot of sacrifice for CP3. But let's think about it. He's already got a home in Los Angeles. His family is familiar with the LA area. He'll be playing with his friend LeBron James. He doesn't have to be that dominant personality in the locker room because LeBron is such a leader. And the fit with the Lakers is friggin' incredible. You know, CP3, imagine him being able to run, you know, primary unit and second unit stuff. Like CP3 to Anthony Davis would be friggin' incredible. That would just be unbelievable. Imagine CP3 and DeMarcus Cousins running pick and roll on the second unit. Like, oh my goodness, that would be just devastating. And then you've got Danny Green, um, uh, Troy Daniels, like uh, Avery Bradley, like all these friggin' shooters just spot up everywhere in the corners. Like that, that could be absolutely deadly. Uh, if you are the Lakers and CP3 teams up there, like that is such a nice fit. I know he's had problems with Rondo. I know there's been some problems with DeMarcus Cousins, but you have to believe that if you're going to give up, and this is just a hypothetical scenario, I understand that, but if you're going to give up all that money to go and play with the Lakers, you are going to sacrifice much of your ego and say, hey, look, I'm, I gave up a ton of my financial flexibility to come here and win a championship. And I have to believe that that will garner some respect among some of the players that he has had problems with in the past being uh, Rondo and DeMarcus Cousins. So, I mean, that would be an extremely fun scenario. I would love to see that happen. Again, that's very unlikely. We know that, you know, he's probably going to have to give up too much money in a bio to make that happen. But I think that that would be the way that CP3 uh, opens up his championship window again and probably makes the league the most fun, in my opinion, is pairing CP3 up, going to the Lakers, and really just adding another wrench uh, or another match or another more gas on the fire, whatever you want to call it, in the Western Conference to make it just that much more competitive and uh, just add to what's going to be an excellent, excellent 2019-2020 season. So thanks, everybody for listening to this podcast. Again, you can find uh, the podcast on Apple Podcasts. I'm working to get it on Spotify, Google Play, and some of these other platforms as well. Uh, but you can also find it you know, on Podbean. Again, that's ISO Ball Podcast, I-S-O-B-A-L-L-P-O-D. Uh, you can find it on Player FM. That's I know that's kind of an unpopular one, but that's the one actually I use to um, do a lot of my podcasts. So you can look it up on Player FM for Android. And the, obviously the best place is Apple Podcasts. Uh, if you like the podcast, please leave five stars. If you didn't, rate it what you think 
what you thought it was uh, in terms of out of five and let me know what I can do better to make it a five. Like, did you not like the topics? Did you, would you want me to talk about certain stuff? Is there something that I framed improperly? Did you like how I framed something? Did you, did I bring up something that you hadn't thought of? Please let me know in those comments. I love the feedback and you can also find all the content as well on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, searching I-S-O-B-A-L-L-P-O-D or I-S-O-B-A-L-L-P-O-D-C-A-S-T. Again, that's ISO Ball Podcast. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Uh, we'll be back with more content throughout the summer. But thanks again, and we'll talk soon.